Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is a joy to be with you on this bright, warm, sunny Memorial Day weekend. Amen. Glad to be together this morning. I want you to go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 6. It's where we're going to be this morning. If you need a Bible, there's one in the seat pocket in front of you. Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to be around verse 17 here in just a minute, but let me just ask you, are you ready this morning for the Word of God? Well, that was a little weak, and let me just say, I'm not sure you're ready for the truths God has for us in Hebrews chapter 6. Now, that thought, that thought of I have much to say and God has much here for us, but at the same time, not quite sure we're ready has been in the mind of the author of Hebrews in chapter 6 the last few weeks for us. We began just a few weeks ago talking about this great high priest role of King Jesus. And then in chapter 5 verse 11 we come to the place where the author of Hebrews says, I have much to say. But he says to the hearers then... And to us today, he says, I'm not quite sure you're ready for all that God has for you. In fact, he says in chapter 5, verse 11, he says, you've become dull of hearing. So as we launch back into this great theme this morning, we've been on a little bit of a detour for the past few weeks as the author of Hebrews has led us through this warning about God has much to say don't be sluggish, don't be dull of hearing. Let me just challenge us again this morning that as we study the priesthood of King Jesus this morning, we've sang about it, we've talked about it, we're going to look at it this morning. Let me just say it is worthy of our full attention. Let me call us to not be dull of hearing. What we have here in Hebrews chapter 6 that we're going to look at is described as an anchor for the soul that is both sure and steadfast. Let's prepare our hearts to hear the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, are you ready for the Word of God? Amen. Amen. The book of Hebrews is written, it's written to a first century group of Hebrew community to boldly declare the superiority of King Jesus. The book of Hebrews, we've already seen, declares that Jesus is the better and more full and complete revelation of God. Jesus is the more full and ultimate and complete rest of God. Jesus is the better sacrifice. We're coming now to this section that has much attention in the book of Hebrews. It's this idea of Jesus as our better and more complete and ultimate high priest. Much attention is given to this here in the book of Hebrews. If you were a Jew and you were listening to this and you were reading this, you would understand that the role of the high priest in the life of a believing Jew and in the life of a believer is of immense importance to us this morning. Now you say, Pastor Mike, I'll be honest, I don't think a lot about the high priest role of Jesus. I, I'm not even sure of all that involves and what that means for me today. To the Jews who this letter was written to, they, they understood the role of the high priest because here's what they understood. 
God is holy and we are not. God is infinitely glorious and we are infinitely sinful. We must have a go-between to stand before God in his holiness and us in our sinfulness. Their picture and this, this, that was given to them of this role of the high priest was a source of much hope for the people of Israel, the Jewish people. They understood there must be one to go between us. The writer of Hebrews then follows all that and declares with unashamed boldness that Aaron and every high priest that preceded were all merely pictures and a foreshadowing of the great high priest who would come, King Jesus. And we come to this section in chapter 6 of Hebrews and over and over again you hear language that's, we don't even quite understand it, but it's, it's priestly language. It's the language of a high priest and of a go-between and an intercessor who stands in our stead. And we don't understand that this morning. That is a theme throughout the book of Hebrews. In fact, the author of Hebrews begins the letter of Hebrews with these words. You don't have to look this up, but in Hebrews 1, remember how this great book begins. He says, Jesus is the radiance of his glory. Jesus is the exact representation of the very nature of God. Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. And Jesus, when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the majesty of God on high. That's priestly language. Work, work accomplished. It's finished. The work of this great high priest. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17. He, he says it this way. Therefore Jesus had to become like his brethren. He had to become a man. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's priestly language. And he comes to chapter 5 and chapter 6 and he wants to hold out this incredible reality and truth and picture that is this morning an anchor for your soul that Jesus is our enduring high priest forever. He wants us to see that this morning, so I want you to look with me. I'm going to begin reading around verse 17. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. We're going to draw out a big truth and I think some really helpful application, big idea points for you this morning. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17. You can follow along. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise. Now, Daniel led us through this the past few weeks. Who were the heirs of this promise of God? Well, it was the hearers then who were believing, and it's the believing hearers today. We are heirs of this rock-solid promise given by God. He says, when God wanted to show the unchangeable character of his purpose, or of his promise. We talked about that the last few weeks. This promise given by God. Specifically this promise to Abraham. That through you all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. 
Through you, a Messiah is going to come. Through you, a sin bearer will come. This promise. He made the promise. Verse 17, he guaranteed it with an oath. Verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things, the promise and the oath, it's impossible God to lie. And here's the encouragement. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast this hope that is set before us. The call is to hold fast this hope that's going to be laid out here that is set before us. What is that hope? Help us with that hope. Verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. We just sang about it. Jesus is an anchor of our soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. That's priestly language. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Verse 20. This is incredible. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest. For how long? Forever. According to the order of Melchizedek. Rock, solid, anchor for the soul, truth here in Hebrews chapter 6. Here's your big truth we're going to chase this morning is simply this. Jesus is a high priest forever. Jesus is a high priest forever. Now, if you've been reading along with us and you've been reading through Hebrews chapter 6 and you've been following the mind of this author as he writes to his hearers, he longs for something for them. As a father and as a dad and as a husband and as an elder pastor here, I understand the sense of of longing for something that you want for the people that you lead and that you invest in. This author here wants something for his hearer. He wants something for us. We get that in Hebrews 6.11. He says this, We desire that each one of you Show the same earnestness. There would be a a diligence about your life. To what? To have, to possess, to be characterized by full assurance of hope until the end. He says, I want your life to not be characterized by being tossed to and fro. I, I don't want you to be pulled by the old system that's trying to pull you back into the old way. I want you to run to this promise now that is Jesus and the full assurance that is in him. I want you to hold fast and have this confident assurance, this sure and steadfast anchor for your soul. He uses this metaphor here of an anchor. We, we get that. It's a nautical term. An anchor, what does it do? Well, I don't know a lot about boats. I don't know a lot about anchors. But here's what I know about an anchor. It holds something in place. And he says, I'm teaching you something here. I'm giving you these truths to hold you in place when things try to pull you from the truth or the storms of life come or the, the ways of the past are trying to pull you back into Judaism. no. Your hope is here. Hold fast. He is an anchor of your soul. One thing that's true and common of every person in this room, no matter your age, no matter your background, you and your human heart, you are longing 
you are searching, you are desiring for something that gives you a degree of certainty and stability in your life, right? We all want that. We want this idea of stability and certainty. We want that in our relationships. We, we want that in our jobs. We want that in our families. We want that in our future. We, we long for that. The writer of Hebrews says there is a sure and steadfast anchor for your soul. So practically what I want to try to do in the next few minutes we have from this text, I want to simply ask this question for us. Maybe you've never asked this as you read through Hebrews. It's this. Has the priesthood of Jesus an anchor for our soul? How is what the author of Hebrews has now guided us back into this theme of this priesthood role of Jesus? And he's, and he's taken a time out. He said, stop, I'm not sure you're ready to hear it. There's so much here for you. I want your attention. I want you to listen. Now he guides back into it at the end of chapter 6. How is the priesthood... Jesus, an anchor that is solid and steadfast and sure for your soul. Let's see if we can figure that out this morning for the next few minutes together. Back in verse 18, look with me. It says this. It says, we have fled for refuge, or we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope. If you write in your Bible, circle that little phrase, hope, there in verse 18. It goes on verse 19. He says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Here it is again. A hope. says it again. That enters within the veil or behind the curtain. Here's your application point or your first big idea. I'm going to give you three or four this morning. Number one, how is the priesthood of Jesus an anchor for our soul? Number one, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope. Say, say, what does that mean? Why does the priesthood of Jesus have to do with this? Listen, the biblical idea of hope, I want you to understand something. As we hear that over and over in this phrase, in these passages, the biblical idea of hope is not wishful expectation. It's not I'm holding to something that I really hope works out. It's not I'm running to something that we'll just have to see how it turns out in the end. Biblical hope, as it's used here, is an absolute certainty. Biblical hope here, and the author of Hebrews, you're going to see this throughout. Hope is tied to the past, hope is tied to the present, and hope is also tied to the future. Let me show you that really quick. Priesthood of Jesus, it's tied to the past, tied to the present, it's tied to the future. Let me give you a few things. This is it. Jesus is our hope because he fulfills past promises. See, the writer of Hebrews has gone to great lengths there in chapter 6 to show past promises of God. Like the promise to Abraham that a son would be born. From that son would come a people. From that people would, be, would come a redeemer. The author of Hebrews has gone to great lengths to show that God keeps his promises. And over and over he comes to show that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all of those pictures and promises of the Old Testament. Verse 18 again. He says, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast, listen to this phrase, to the hope that is set before us. 
set before us. He's saying you live in an age to the hearer then where all the promises of God in the Old Testament of a Messiah, of a Redeemer, of a sin bearer, of a great high priest are fulfilled in the person of Jesus and he is set before you. Our hope can be fixed in Jesus. One of the reasons is because we can look back, all the promises of God are sure and certain and find their complete fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, what a Savior. He fulfills them all. He fulfills every picture of a Redeemer who would come. He fulfills every picture that Aaron and the high priest were to show is fulfilled in the person of King Jesus. Jesus made this really clear himself. I don't know if you remember, you don't have to turn there at all, but in Luke chapter 24, when Jesus post-resurrection, he's gone to the cross and he's risen from the dead and he's walking with a group of disciples along the road from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus, which is a little suburb outside of Jerusalem. And they're walking along and they don't even know it's Jesus they're walking with. And the Bible says this, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus interpreted them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. Can you imagine that? Jesus walked through all the stories and all the pictures and all the illusions of the Old Testament <laughs> in some way was just saying, you know what, that, that's talking about me. I'm the fulfillment of all of that. See, your hope, brothers and sisters, that you can anchor your soul is in one that is fulfilled perfectly thousands and thousands of years of the promises of God and the prophecies of God and the pictures of God he is set before you as the fulfillment of God's promise Jesus is our hope Jesus is our hope because he fulfills past promises let me give you another reason Jesus is our hope because of his present priestly ministry the author of Hebrews, again, is quite clear of what Jesus is currently doing and what this role of his priestly ministry means to us. Verse 19, again, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. It is a hope, now listen to this language, verse 19, that enters into the inner place or the holy place or within the veil behind the curtain you say I have no idea what that means maybe you have an idea if you've heard something about that that's priestly language that's the allusions back to the Old Testament of Aaron or the high priest going into the holy of holies once a year that represented the very presence of God it's priestly language let me read to you Hebrews 9 6 and 7 what did these earthly high priests do that were a picture of the high priest to come? Hebrews 9, 6 and 7. Author says this. The priests go regularly into the first section. This is the tabernacle or the temple that represented God's presence with his people. He says they are performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes once a year. That's this place referred to here in chapter 6. Holy of holies within the veil. And he goes but once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself because of his own sins and for the unintentional sins of his people. That's the role of that earthly high priest. Keep going. Hebrews 10, 11. 
And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly over and over and over these sacrifices, which can never take away sin. The author says, you've seen a picture of priestly service throughout the history of the Old Testament, but I've got some bad news for you. That didn't take away a single sin. Then the author of Hebrews holds out Jesus as our great high priest, and he says this. Hebrews, you don't have to look it up, I'll just read it to you. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 says, But when Christ appeared, As a high priest of the good things that have come, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of bulls and goats and calves, by his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. That is a beautiful picture, beloved, that Jesus in his priestly service has fully accomplished, watch, what the earthly priest could never do. Finishing the work, entering the holy place. The earthly high priest entered briefly. Jesus, when he had made purification of sins, sat down at the right hand of God. Completed task, finished work, done. It is finished. The work of the high priest complete. Only Jesus can do that. Your hope is in your great high priest who has fully completed everything necessary for you and I to be right with God. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That's where your hope is anchored. Now we're going to talk a little bit more in just a few minutes as this verse goes on about what does that priestly service look like? What is the ongoing priestly service of Jesus? We'll talk about that in just a minute. Jesus is our hope because of past promises. Jesus is our hope because of his present priestly service. Thirdly and quickly, Jesus is our hope because of his future and certain return. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ having offered once, or having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Our hope is also set in one who is sure and steadfast and will return again. Come, Lord Jesus. So this is bound up in the person and the work of Jesus. What he has accomplished in the past by fulfilling the promises. His present priestly service. His future return when he will draw us to himself forever and ever. How is the priesthood of Jesus an anchor for the soul? Jesus is our hope. Now, I want to get even more practical with you this morning. Pastor Mike, what? What kind of hope is that? How does that hope that I have in Jesus as my high priest play out in my daily life? Let's go back. Verse 19. Let's read it again. He says, we have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. If you mark in your Bible, circle those words. He says, it's sure. It's steadfast. A hope that enters within the veil. Jesus is our hope. That's big idea number one. Big idea number two is this. Jesus is sure and steadfast. Jesus is sure and steadfast. Those words mean certain. Those words mean stable. Those words mean firm. 
Those words mean secure, unwavering, that's what, that which cannot totter. And you say, wait a minute, when I look at my daily life and I look at my walk and my pursuit and how inconsistent it is, you don't know all that goes through my mind. You don't know all my struggles. I seem to be so shaky, so inconsistent. I'm trying to figure out what to hold on to. Here's what Jesus himself is always, without question, sure and steadfast. He doesn't waver. It's not in question. His promises are sure. Another translation of this verse says this, This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. It's sure and steadfast because of what Jesus has accomplished in the very presence of God. He says, behind the veil. You know, I've heard this talked about. This is that veil in the temple that separated as a way. It was this 30-foot high curtain that was incredibly thick that separated the outer court and the holy place from the holy of holies as a picture. Watch this. Because of our sin, we have no right to enter into the presence of God. It was a picture of, of this holiness of God and our inability of our human effort to enter into his presence and enter into that interplace. It was a picture of that. Then you know what happened, Matthew 27, verse 50. On the cross, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split there Matthew records to us the glorious picture that upon the crucifixion and death and the sacrifice of the life and body of Jesus this veil from top to bottom was rent torn completely in two why thus declaring that through Jesus the presence of God is fully accessible we can enter into his very presence, not through our accomplishments, not through what we have done, but through the sure and steadfast person and finished work of King Jesus. Now, practically, what does that mean? I'm going to give you three things. That Jesus has entered within the veil. Jesus has died and paid that sacrifice. What does that mean? Three things. Number one, we have a forerunner. Chapter 19 or chapter 6 verse 19 read it again we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul a hope that enters the inner place behind the curtain verse 20 where Jesus has gone circle this phrase as a forerunner on our behalf it's a glorious picture that Jesus has gone before us where we could never go on our own it's a glorious picture of one who goes before, one who clears the path, one who is the author and the pioneer, who entered into the very presence of God that we could never enter on our own righteousness. He is our forerunner. Anybody remember the conversation in John chapter 14 that Jesus has with his disciples before he's going to the cross the next day? When I was reading this, I, I couldn't stop thinking about how Jesus made reference to this with his disciples. He says to them, guys, I'm, I'm going away. 
And they didn't fully understand what he meant. But he clearly meant, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to ascend to my Father. I'm going away. And he says, where are you going? And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Jesus says, I'm going as your forerunner. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to make accessibility to the very presence of God available to you. And I will come again and I will bring you to myself. Jesus is our forerunner. And he went and did all of that according to verse 19 and 20. Catch this phrase. On our behalf. There's a ton of phrases in this passage that ought to capture our hearts, but that's the language of substitution. All this that we read about, he did for you because you are completely unable to do it for yourself. He did it on your behalf. We have a forerunner. And because of that, we who run to him for refuge, who believe in Christ and Christ alone, we have constant access to the throne of God. You have constant access to the very presence of God. Hebrews 4, we read this a few weeks ago, says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Chapter 4, verse 16 Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne that is characterized by grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hallelujah, what a Savior. You have constant, full, bold unending, unwavering access to the very place of communion and fellowship and blessing and worship of your Creator because Jesus and His high priestly work on the cross and His ongoing work before the Father, you have the confidence to draw near. And you wake up in the morning and you say, I don't feel like a Christian. I don't feel very redeemed. At the end of the day, when you look back and you say, I didn't act very much like a Christian at times. You don't know my struggles. You don't know all I wrestle with. Do not lapse back into the false anchor of trusting your own performance. You run by faith to the anchor who is Jesus, who is sure and steadfast, and you boldly run to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. That is good news. And that is a sure and steadfast hope that never wavers. In Christ. We have a forerunner. We, we have full and bold access to the very presence of the Father. And thirdly, I want to give you this very quickly. We have constant intercession by our great high priest. 
So, Pastor Mike, I, I'm not really sure exactly what that means. I, I hear that from time to time. What does that mean? This is an immense truth for us. And, and I would even say this is one of the truths in the New Testament that I think probably doesn't get enough attention because of the glorious nature of what Jesus is continually doing and performing in his righteousness on your behalf. Now let me be really clear. Everything necessary to purchase our salvation, redemption, full atonement, fully accomplished by Jesus on the cross. But what is Jesus doing now? What is his priestly service now we know the answer. Hebrews 7.25 says this. Hebrews 6, where we were, alludes to it. Hebrews 7.25 gives us clarity. Therefore, he is able, Jesus, to save forever. That's an assurance word. He, Jesus, is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Why? Because I'm good? Because I'm improving? Because I'm getting better? No, because Jesus always lives to make intercession for them. You say, what is that intercession? What does that look like? What does that, how does that play out in my life? Let me read a statement to you from a man named Dane Ortland. He wrote this little book called Gentle and Lowly. I commend it to you, a great book. He, t- he talks about this from Hebrews 7.25. He says this, Justification is tied to what Christ did in the past intercession is what he is doing in the present the intercession of Jesus is constantly applying what the atonement fully accomplished the atonement accomplished our salvation the intercession of Jesus before the father is the moment by moment application of the atoning work of Jesus he constantly stands between you and the father as your intercessor constantly carrying out this work of our high priest you say how long is he going to do that Hebrews 7.25 says he ever lives to make intercession for us. Can I tell you what that means for your daily life, beloved? For those of you who are in Christ and you've run to Christ as your sure and steadfastest refuge for your soul, in Christ and his priestly ministry, you have a sure and steadfast anchor of your soul. Question. How secure is your soul? How secure are those who are in Christ Jesus by faith? How secure are those who have run to Jesus as their only hope and their great high priest? Let me answer that. Your faith may waver, but his intercession never does. You may say, I'm not sure I can endure to the end. He always lives and secures your salvation to the end. To the uttermost, he makes intercession. You may say, I'm seeing very little progress toward Christ's likeness right now. I'm pursuing, I'm struggling, I'm yearning, but I see very little progress. The intercession of Jesus before the Father on your half never diminishes. Now listen. 
You may say, you don't know the degree of the sin that I'm wrestling with and I'm fighting it in Christ. I'm fighting this thing. You don't know what I'm wrestling with. Listen, beloved, the ceaseless intercession of Jesus is constantly applying what the death of Jesus fully accomplished on your behalf. Full atonement is constantly being applied by your Savior on your behalf. Therefore, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. You latch the anchor of your soul to that hope who is Jesus. He is a high priest who is constantly making intercession for you. That is good news, brothers and sisters. That's why the Apostle Paul, for example, is able to say what he says. We love Romans chapter 8. You don't have to turn there. Romans chapter 8 is talking about this place of security that true believers have in Christ. And he says this. He says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies the finished work of Christ. Who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Listen, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is what? Interceding for us. And the rest of this great glorious chapter in Romans 8 that we all love is based on the justification of Christ and the ongoing intercessory work of Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? Paul says, for I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other thing in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is an anchor for your soul. And that is the ongoing work finished on the cross of atonement the ongoing intercessory work of Jesus who ever lives to make intercession for you. Priesthood of Jesus. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is sure and steadfast. The third one is this, and we'll finish this quickly. Jesus is forever the anchor of our soul. Verse 19 again, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor. A hope that enters into the holy place behind the veil, behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest, here's your word, circle it, forever and ever according to the order of Melchizedek. So last point, how is this priestly work of Jesus an anchor for our soul? It was forever. It never ends. It's enduring. The the earthly high priest, they lived, they died. Jesus forever, our great high priest, lives forever. And he says he's had the order of Melchizedek. What what is that all about? We'll talk more about Melchizedek next week. But he's not even of the order of Aaron or the Levites. He's of a completely different order as this priest. Melchizedek, what does that mean? For now, this king priest who lives forever. King priest who lives forever and ever and ever and is a forever anchor for your soul. I want to ask the team just to come on up and to begin to play. We're going to move into a time of response, but I don't want you to check out. We're not finished. I'm going to ask them to come on up. 
Here's what I want you to think about this morning. Hebrews 7.23 says this. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. How is the priesthood of Jesus that has been laid out here for you and we're going to continue to talk about in the weeks to come as the author walks us through this. How is the priesthood of Jesus an anchor for your soul? Jesus is our hope. Is it your hope? Jesus is sure and steadfast. Is he that for you this morning? Or are you running to false anchors that will not hold? Jesus is forever and ever and ever anchor of our soul. Prayer for us this morning and the prayer for you, beloved, is the same prayer that the author of Hebrews has here is that we would hold fast this hope that is set before us. That we would pursue these truths, we would pursue these realities, that we would run and we would by faith out of these truths hold fast to Jesus and Him alone who is the anchor of our soul. And I pray at the same time we would, as First Peter says, that we would be ready. Not only would we hold fast to this hope, but Peter says always be ready to give a defense for this hope and share it with others. This hope that you're holding to is the hope that people around you are begging and asking, is there anything sure and steadfast for my soul? Run to this hope. Proclaim this hope. Jesus is our high priest forever. Father, thank you for this truth. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray we are transformed and changed by the truth of the gospel that we see here in Hebrews 6. We praise you, and in your great name we pray. Amen.